Hi, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Let's Talk Tuffle podcast. I'm Jackie and joining me is Jennifer. So today, hey, Jennifer, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm good. So should we jump right into um, all the details that that our listeners want to know, I'm sure? Let's do it. All right. So today it's all about Jennifer's wisdom um, about teaching young learners. So a few different tips. Um, I worked in Hogwans in Korea for a couple of years, but Jennifer is definitely the guru of all things um, teaching young learners. And I think that I can definitely learn a lot from her for the times um, when I do teach kids these days. So I hope you enjoy it. Um, Let's get into the tips, Jennifer. So what's your number one? I'll try to live up to that billing. (laughs) Well, um, yeah, I don't have like a a list of tips. I'm just going to sort of talk a little bit about uh, how you can make your life easier and also like maximize the learning for your students. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the first thing is if your school doesn't divide students by age, like if they strictly divide them, by level, um, really push back against that. You know, like one or two years probably won't make that big of a difference. But, you know, I've in the past, like once I had a second grader in a class with sixth graders and yeah, that was really difficult. She actually had the best English in the class. She was basically fluent, but um, like developmentally, like I mean, she was a second grader, you know, she was, um, yeah, she, the, the stories that we read in class, like didn't resonate with her. Like none of it was appropriate for a second grader. Mm. So um, if you do end up with a student that really is mismatched in age, try and push back against that Um, because it, it, it's not a good learning environment. I don't think in my humble opinion, it's not a great learning environment for a a student who is much younger than the other students. And by the same token, um, most kids are pretty aware of the age of other kids. Like nobody wants to be like the 15 year old in a class full of 12 year olds, for example. Yeah. 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 Even if the level is appropriate and you have one older student in there, they'll probably be pretty unhappy with that situation. Yeah, and just kind of related to that, um, I've taught some kids or teenagers who just because they were quite good at English, maybe their parents or the admin at the school were like, oh, they can use an adult textbook or like this very advanced um, whatever reading thing for adults. And it was totally inappropriate. So, So don't fall into that trap of just thinking, okay, well, they're advanced, so they can use adult materials. Um, yeah, the kids just the the kids have to be interested in um in what they're reading and, and what they're talking about. So definitely push back on that and um yeah, find an age appropriate but advanced level um yes. something. I'll just yes. throw in a quick story of um, <laughs> my admin at I taught for quite a long time at one school where the kids were quite high level on average and the admin were they were basically fluent in English like they had all lived in the U.S. for a really long time in their formative years but I don't think they were widely read and so they would assign books that first of all were beyond the age appropriateness of the kids but generally also like just beyond the level of the students like 
Mm-hmm. They saw it as trying to push the students, you know, to improve. But um, one of my coworkers ended up being told she had to teach a Kurt Vonnegut book with, I'm going to say nine-year-olds. <gasps> what? I don't even understand a Kurt Vonnegut book usually. <laughs> but even like beyond that, like they were oh. always totally last minute. So it was literally the first day of the term. She was given a stack of books and they were like, they've just come in. And she's like, great, I haven't prepared. I guess we'll read aloud today. And like the first page had five F-bombs or something. And oh, just, no. We're oh, not no. going to read out loud This today. isn't quite right. <laughs> 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 oh, so funny. All right. All right. So that's definitely a good tip. Um, the yes. age thing and the age appropriate materials. Um, yes. what, what, and so what's another another one that you have for us? Okay, so um, going along with the the age thing, the younger the student, the more you should break the lesson up into segments. Mm -hmm. You never want the kids to start feeling bored because Mm -hmm. then they get distracted. And once they're distracted, you've kind of lost them. Uh, So a really good way to keep their attention is to plan your lesson into little bits. And the little bits can can and should like build on each other. Like it should have one central theme, but just you just want to kind of switch things up throughout the lesson. So you want to do different activities, maybe move from a group activity to pair work to you know individual and back again. Maybe get up and do like a little brain break where you have something where they're doing something physical while also using English. Um, You know, there's, there's lots of ways that you can do it, but you don't want to have very young learners working on one task for an entire lesson. Like that's just a disaster waiting to happen. Okay. So say there's like a class of six or seven year olds, um, like grade one, um, how long would you do a single task for? Like, like what's kind of your max, like two minutes or 10 minutes, 20 minutes? It depends on the kid, you know, and like you'll get to know your individual students in your class. But I would say with six or seven year old, I would plan on like a maximum of five minutes. Mm -hmm. But also at that age, I would have planned like something for the gaps moving from task to task. Mm -hmm. Like you need to have everything planned out really well in advance. You need to have all of your stuff laid out on your desk so you aren't stopping and starting as you Mm -hmm. transition seamlessly because your students, the younger they are, the less smoothly they will transition. So Mm -hmm. if you have something where they're still sitting at the same seat, but moving from, you know, think, to pair, to share, for example, then that shouldn't really require too much on their part. They should be able to fairly smoothly transition. But if they have to put away one book and take out a different book, or if they've been doing something that involves any crayons or scissors or glue, whatever, like that will take them about 12 times as long as you think (laughs) it will take. (laughs) Which I think brings me to another point, which is to have really clear routines. Like every day when they come in, you know, have on the board, like the day of the week and the, you know, the weather or whatever, like some little thing 
that they know that when they come in, you know, even before that, something like before the class actually starts, like literally when they walk in the door, what do they do first? And that should be the same every day. And then you should start the class in the same format each day. And anytime you're doing the same type of activity, it should be done in the same way. Like every time you use scissors, they should have the same way. Like if you have a class set of scissors, you should have the same students from the same tables getting the scissors for their table and the same student getting the crayons for their table and the same students that gather them up and put them away when they're done. I like that. that. I like um, that for sure. It takes a little bit of time at the beginning of the semester to get everybody used to that, but it saves so much time and so much frustration the rest of the semester. Uh, Like literally I had systems for everything. Uh, And in addition to sort of systems like that, you can have little songs and YouTube is great for that. Or, you know, you can just have it on your phone if you don't have YouTube access in class, whatever, where they have the same songs. Like I, I say I had, there is a cleanup song that goes with one of the major textbooks. And even at schools where I wasn't using that textbook, when I had really young learners and it was time to pack the bags or, you know, clean up at the end of a craft activity or whatever, I would play the cleanup song and they would know that that meant it was time to put away the craft stuff and, you know, kind of police their area. And, you know, that part of the class was done or, you know, the working, the working day was done basically. That is super, sorry, that, that is so helpful to use that cleanup song. um, Yes. On YouTube. I I love it because that's like one of my major frustrations Um, in teaching big classes or just a class of like, little bit like rowdy kids, depending on who they are, is like getting their attention at the end of an end of an activity without having to like yell, like clean up, sit down, be quiet, put your book away. Like, uh, yeah. So I think just having a song and they're like, oh, it's cleanup time. And you don't even have to say anything is, no. is amazing, I think. <laughs> and um, to go back to the rowdy class and you're trying to get their attention, uh, there are so many like call and response things you can do. I used to do just, you know, one, two, three, look at me. And the students would then say, one, two, three, look at you. (laughs) Oh, so funny. And so you clap, you know, as you say, one, two, three, you clap, one, two, three, and then you Mm -hmm. do your thumbs towards yourself, look at me. And then the kids would clap one, two, three, and then they would point their finger guns at the teacher look at you oh nice oh that's like really cute they probably really liked doing that I think yeah they did and if you look on Pinterest you can find like literally infographics with like 50 call and response for the classrooms Mm -hmm. or whatever so yeah you don't have to use that one perfect all right Jennifer I have a a very serious question about teaching kids for you so um, when I'm teaching adults I'm all about student-centered classrooms so Basically, my goal is to talk as little as possible um, in the classroom and to get students talking and interacting with each other um, as much as possible. But I teach mostly adults, so that's entirely possible because there are basically no behavior issues. Um, And adults obviously have quite like 
like much longer attention spans. <clears throat> but how about teaching children? Um, are kind of like radically student-centered classrooms possible or does it have to be a bit more teacher-centered or so like what are your thoughts on that? Um, right it depends on the level like obviously when I was teaching at the sort of high level hagwon you know we had a maximum class size of six like it's and they were really high level so in that case it was almost more of trying to shut them up so we could move on with the lesson because yeah. all of them, you know, I couldn't do like, if you're talking in English, that's fine. Cause they were like, okay. And then <laughs> you know, they would, they would stop talking at the end of class, you know? So it, you know, had to sort of keep moving them along, keep moving them along. When I taught in the public schools and I would have, you know, I think I had 50 students in one of my classes, but that was like a weird case. Usually it was like 40, but even 40, you know, 44th graders is a lot. Um, what really helped was segmenting the lesson. Like I said, you know, moving along, moving along, moving along. Um, also keeping everybody with like working at a table and, um, pitting the tables against one another, which I think is now sort of going out of favor. But uh, <laughs> I found it worked really well if um, I had a point board on the whiteboard, like just a little section of the whiteboard. Each table had a team name and you could get points or you could lose points depending on how you were doing uh, in the lesson, you know, how your group was staying on task. And uh, then you know, once, you know, at different schools, I did it different ways. And sometimes it was, you know, at the end of the month, the winning team got a little, you know, each person got a little prize out of a prize box and others, it was, you know, might be at the end of the week or at the end of the day would have like the, you know, team of the week or team of the day. And there might not have been a prize. It depended on the school um, because if there were like 40 kids in each class and I was teaching, you know, like six classes a day and I had, you know, 30, 30 classes a week. I wasn't really prepared to buy that many prizes. Oh yeah. So, um, at some schools I did have a budget. So the school would buy the little prizes and I'm talking like, you know, a colorful pen or a cute eraser or mm -hmm. a little booklet of stickers or something like things that were like a dollar each, but a dollar each by that many kids is, a, you know, it adds up. It does add up for sure. So um, um, I, I did a very similar thing. Um, so I used to teach at kids camps, like during the breaks from my uni job. So I'd have this group of students for like one week or 10 days or, or whatever. And I used to do a very similar thing. I guess bribe them into like good behavior. So <laughs> I would buy these kind of like cool prizes, like a really nice yo-yo or like hula hoops or just like oh, I, wow. I would spend probably like I had maybe like 12 students in my class. I'd spend like $100 or like more than $100. And then I would often like bring one of the prizes in each day and just kind of as like a showcase, like, oh, someone can get this. So then I'd write all their names on the board and then I would give, you know, like a star or whatever for like, um, you know, just like good, good classroom things. Like maybe we played a game and they won or I saw someone um, who just went out of their way to like do something kind for a classmate or just like 
cleaned up quickly without complaining or yeah. just whatever, whatever it was, or, you know, um, just positive, positive behavior. And then at the end of the week, everybody got a prize, but the top student got to choose the first, the first one. Oh, so right. okay. it was actually so good. It was like, it was worth my hundred dollars every time yes. <laughs> I felt like in terms of like good behavior and like low stress for me in my classroom. And, um, I try not to take away points, but um, I would, I would if I have to, to deal with like extreme yeah, <laughs> bad behavior. I would only take sure. away points if like an entire table was off topic and like distracting others as well, you know, um, and, and generally speaking, that would be mostly the fifth graders, which was usually the oldest that I taught at a school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they were, they had kind of reached the point where they're like, oh, this is just a free period. And I'm like, eh, no points for you. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, anything, anything that I saw that was good, you know, students going above and beyond in terms of really diligently working on a lesson, students helping each other without, you know, being asked to whatever, like you could get an extra point for pretty much anything more than breathing you know exactly exactly if I said who wants to like collect all the worksheets and then I'd have like 12 hands me me right. and like and um I would always choose like the person with the lowest stars I'm like okay it's you this is your chance to get yes. another star your moment to shine <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um I think I'm gonna move on to my sure next little tip which is um having posters in the classroom. Like if you can decorate your classroom, however you want, especially with lower level students, put up useful posters in and amongst the other stuff. Things like, may I go to the bathroom? Or I'm thirsty. You know, little phrases that the students are likely to forget and also likely to need. Uh, that that can be helpful and and that's, that's also more helpful if they're not allowed to use their first language so you know if you're supposed to have an English only environment and they're you know just to avoid them you know just shouting out in their first language you know toilet whatever <laughs> But also, um, I would have in my posters, I would have a picture of a student with their hand up mm -hmm. to also visually remind them to raise their hand. That's super helpful. And it's also worth mentioning for beginners. Um, it's worth teaching classroom language. Oh, yes. Open your books, page 11. I have to please, or like bathroom, I have to go to the bathroom or like clean up and um, things like that. So I would spend a class or two definitely doing that and then practicing that um, extensively. So that will just make the rest of your, your course go far more smoothly if everyone is kind of on the same page yes, <laughs> of um, yeah. classroom talk. Yeah, those are very important. And I think that moves smoothly into my next one, which is concept checking. Please, please, please. First of all, with young learners, do not give a big block of instructions. Okay, y'all, today we're going to talk about nouns. So you need to pull out your books and your notebooks and your pencil <laughs> oh. and your book to page 35 <laughs> and open your notebook to a clean piece of paper. No, mm. just no. One thing at a time. 
take out a pencil, take out your vocabulary book, open your book to page 35. Mm -hmm. And when you ask your concept checking question, it should never be, does anybody have any questions or do you understand what to do? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You need to say, okay, what page are we on? Mm -hmm. What are we doing? You know, Mm -hmm. and you need to sort of have the students, you know, choose a student and without being too obvious, choose a lower level student rather than the top of the class, you know, and then you have a better gauge of whether or not the students really understand what they're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, But definitely give your directions at the atomic level, like really the tiniest little piece of instruction at a time. Mm -hmm. And then once that's been done, move on to the next piece of the instruction. I always tried to do mine in two forms. So I would have it written down like step by step. Yeah. And then I would flash, you know, like one thing on the screen, like pick up your pencil (laughs) and then I would say it and gesture it. I guess I did it in three ways. Pick up your pencil, open your book. Then I would do the gesture. I'd say it. It would be on the screen. So there was no way to misunderstand my instructions, (laughs) I hope, in in most cases. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing uh, that can be helpful at the beginning, like before class starts, if you have space on your white bar on your white board, if you have space on your whiteboard, make a list of the things the students will need that day, or at least the things the students will need to begin class. So if they have two or three textbooks, you know, put on the board the one textbook they're starting with. You know, if they need to take out their crayons, you know, put that on the board. Um, I will say that if they need their crayons, but not till later, don't put it on the board. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good tip for kids, for sure. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, you want them to have, like, usually you only want them to have exactly the things they need right for that moment on the desk. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful for them to know, like, the things they need to start the class with. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would often like write um, kind of the agenda on the board for the day and students would like do quite well, like everybody would read it, at least the adults that I taught would read it and then they would kind of get ready for the first thing if the first thing was like, um, you know, like review page seven, a lot of them would have page seven open, ready to go. So it's like, it, it's worth it definitely writing a few things on the board. And even if like half the students are ready to go, that just makes your life easier because it's only half that have to get kind of on the same page. um, Right. And also you can build that into your sort of greeting chat, you know, hi, good morning. How are you today? Oh, that's great. How have you been? Okay. Now go ahead and take out your vocabulary book when you sit down, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So I think the, the next thing I want to talk about is um, pair work or group work. Um, I love to move between individual pair work and group work. I think it keeps uh, the class moving along pretty well, especially when you have like a long chunk of the class time is meant to be spent basically on the same activity. 
um, it breaks it up really well. And it also kind of takes the pressure off. You know, if, if the students can just have a minute to think and work on their own at their own pace. And then also, of course, getting them to speak to one another, like each of those is helpful to them. And there's really two ways that you can do it um, sort of mindfully. You can either put your pairs or groups with high students matched with low students or high students together, middle students together, low students together like that. And both of them kind of had their pros and cons. Like, if you have higher students together with lower students, the higher students can like reinforce what they know and also help the lower level students. On the other hand, if you have leveled groups or leveled pairs, you can give like more attention to the lower level ones as you're like mingling around the class and, you know, kind of observing what they're doing. And while the higher level students are able to sort of get on with things to a slightly greater degree, you can spend more of the class time as needed with the, the lower level students. Yeah, and I like to mix it up, I guess, throughout the course as well. Um, yeah, I definitely, I, I have some empathy, I guess, for the very high level student who's stuck with the lowest level <laughs> person in yes. the class and never really gets to actually practice with what they are capable of because they have to like um, lower their level for that person to understand. So I think that's fine for like a few classes, but then also I love to put the best students in the class together once in a while so they can actually like practice to their full ability. And yeah, so mix it up for sure. Yeah. Don't, um, yes, mix don't, it up. Yeah. yeah. But also <laughs> mix it up. Like I don't like to have the same kids working together all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like to put different pairs and different groups together, you know, just as a matter of course. I think it keeps things a little bit fresh and sort of keeps them on their toes. And also then if, you know, I mean, there's inevitably students who don't really get along that well, or last week they were friends, but this week they hate each other, whatever. If the groups or the pairs change, then there's less hassle with that. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I, I don't really love everyone sitting with their BFFs. No. Um, I mean, they can see their BFF at lunch and then recess and before school and after school and on the weekend and at nighttime. They don't necessarily need to have their BFF beside them during English class because it just leads often to talking in the shared first language. Um, yes. And oh my God, I got a text from whoever and like, I don't know, just it leads to a whole bunch of things that I don't really want happening in my English classes unless they are both quite good students and they're like, okay, we'll talk in English together and they are having fun with it. That's kind of a rare case I found um, generally. Yeah. <laughs> it's better if they don't know each other super well because then it's like they'll just speak in English together because that's what the teacher told them to do. Um, generally is my is my experience with that yeah um yeah I, I don't think I really had too many teaching situations where I had students who didn't know each other pretty well just because yeah. you know my first school was such a small or you know the Hogwan was such a small school or you know such small classes some of those students have been 
studying together for three, four, five years. Um, and then when I was at the different elementary schools, you know, a lot of them had been going to elementary school together from the beginning. So, mm. you know, they were together with those same classmates, you know, all day, all week, all year. And I was just there, you know, 40 minutes, one, two or three times a week. So mm. that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. for Sure. Um, all right, Jennifer, um, do you have maybe one more thing we can talk about? Ooh, one more thing. I guess uh, learn your students' names if it's possible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, that's easier in a class of six, uh, and especially if you're teaching the same kids, you know, year in, year out. It the the larger the classes and the less frequently you see them, and the more classes you have, the the harder that it gets. But um, yeah, really do make an effort to the greatest extent humanly possible. Um, to learn your students' names. It really, it really helps to create a rapport with your students. And uh, at the very least, if they're totally not into it, then at least they know that you know their name and you can report back to the powers that be. <laughs> yes. Well, I have the ultimate tip. <laughs> I have the ultimate tip for, for the name thing. Um, I would always get my students to make name tags. So I would um, bring just like, like she's a printer paper and then you just fold it into like a triangle, like a three yes. little thing to have standing on front of your desk. And so I'd always, thing. so I would always say like, you can <clears throat> like, I'll call you whatever you want. So like a nickname or an English name or your Korean name. And most students chose their Korean name, probably like 95% of them did that. But if they chose a nickname or an English name, I would just write that on my attendance sheet. So I had it connected to some, their actual yes real name. And then I would just require that everybody had their name tag every class. So they would just put it in their textbook and then just pull it out at the beginning of class. And that was one thing to like train students. And if they didn't have it, then they wouldn't get their point in their attendance book, <laughs> which is like a big thing at university. So yes. I mean, they were motivated. It was like the easiest thing for me because I had like something like sometimes 10 classes of like 30 students or 40 students. So yeah. Remember, and I would see them once a week for like two hours. So it was it was tough to remember names, but it would just created a way better atmosphere that I was able to like call people's names and like actually, you know, if they were struggling or like behavior was a thing or they were doing really well, I like knew who they were. And um, yeah, it was super helpful to do that. That's also a really good tip because I know a lot of my friends who teach in university that have like some sort of electronic check-in um, and they would have their friends, like somebody would be on time and they would sort of electronically check in their friends mm -hmm. as being mm -hmm. there. But if you see what name tags are on the desks, then you know better. Exactly. Exactly. And I would often just not do attendance as a class I would get the students like working on some review activity or warm-up kind of thing and then I would just quickly like scan the classroom and actually just yeah. do attendance um that way and I didn't like waste class time with it and there yes. was no way you had to physically be sitting behind your name tag <laughs> yeah um, so I so guess that that's a good way a, to combat that yeah final thought is if you are required to keep attendance which I think generally speaking you will be in some way or another yeah, try not to eat up class time with attendance. And if you know your students' names, 
or you have them all with name tags on their desk, you can do it while they are attending to some task. Mm -hmm. So um, it doesn't, you don't have to spend five minutes, you know, student A, are you here? B, are you here? (laughs) Exactly. And if you have a co-teacher, that's a great co-teacher task. Just when you're getting everyone ready for their first activity, or your co-teacher is doing that. One of you is just walking around checking name tags and just just doing it that way. So yeah, it's a super simple but helpful helpful thing to do yes. in the ESL classroom. All right, Jennifer. So if people want more tips about this, Jennifer and I actually have a book. It's called ESL Classroom Management Tips and Tricks. Um, we wrote it for teachers of students who are ages 6 to 12. And there's a ton of routines, activity suggestions, um, ideas, advice, helpful tips, just everything you need to know, basically, um, to manage. you'll ever find. Oh, yeah. And I was just actually looking at the reviews right now, and people said some good things. So the book was pretty brief, but loaded. I applied the tips and techniques right away. And though it will take time already, I already see and feel an improvement within a week of applying. Yeah. Um, So... Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So check it out. But also it is true. Like getting routines to be routine takes time, but it's Mm -hmm. like anything else. Like if you say, right, I'm going to do, you know, couch to 5k. Well, getting into that routine of getting up every day and going for your run, whatever, like that takes time for you to make into a habit. And Mm -hmm. that's all classroom. That's all classroom routines are really. They're just Mm -hmm. classroom habits. Yeah, thanks so much, Jennifer, for all your helpful tips. Um, My pleasure. Those are, they're great reminders for me, for sure. I think when I teach kids, I sometimes like, oh, this is really, I get overwhelmed and like stressed out um, sometimes. Um, but yeah, just keeping that in mind, having a routine and planning each little step and the transitions um, can go a long way to, to making the classes um, even better. Yeah, it, it really can. You never want to have dead time. Mm-hmm. in class because that's mm-hmm. when the students will be lost forever for sure for sure all right jennifer so where can people find you online um you can find me on youtube teach travel learn and if you have any interest in doing like brain breaks like i mentioned doing something where they're moving in english i do have a couple of brain break videos and you can also find me on my blog teach Perfect. Where can people find you? Uh, they can find me at eslactivity.org and all the podcast information is eslactivity.org slash podcast. All right, Jennifer, I think that's uh, that's good for today. Thanks so much for all your tips. All right. Thanks, Jackie. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.